Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Public speech that may incite violence, even even if it is not directly designed to incite violence, even if that's not the specific intent of the public speech, it has a name, stochastic terrorism. And I want to talk about it. We're hearing the phrase more and more. A lot of our guests discuss it. Now, here's the thing to know about the Trump era. You ready? There's not going to be a civil war. We're not going to see states seceding from the Union. You're not going to find that many cops and soldiers who want to give up their pensions. You're not going to see the red states walk away from the massive federal aid they receive from the blue states. It's just not going to happen. They'll talk about it because there's people who hate. They hate America. They hate liberals. They hate people who don't think like they do. But there's not going to be a civil war. The media likes that phrase and they'll keep on pushing it. We're not going to have that. Um, let me get back to stochastic terrorism, because the man accused of attacking Paul Pelosi, husband of Nancy Pelosi, was charged today with assault and attempted kidnapping, among other charges. Um, this was an assassination attempt. An assassination attempt on the American who is second in line for the presidency. And it was committed by Trump supporter David DePape, uh, who is 42. I don't, I, I believe he's single ladies. I'll try to find out for sure. He was taken into custody early Friday after allegedly breaking into the Pelosi household and attacking Paul Pelosi with a hammer. San Francisco police chief said Paul Pelosi, who was 82, was violently assaulted with the hammer. Our officers immediately tackled the suspect, disarmed him, took him into custody, requested emergency backup, and rendered medical aid. Now, this is the kind of story where you think in the America we grew up in, it's not a problem for people to come out and say, wow, this is wrong. We agree. We agree. And, and if anything I ever said led to this, well, my God, I apologize for it. Like, it's not inconceivable that this could be an event to unite us. Now, the recent social media activity indicates that Mr. DePape, well, he was drinking a pretty thick brew of far-right conspiracy theories before he broke into the house and shouted, allegedly, where is Nancy? Where is Nancy? His plan was to tie up Paul Pelosi until the speaker returned and then break her knees. Because he said when she goes into the Congress again, other Congress people will see 
that actions have consequences. Now, his social media activity, it's a doozy. Um, lots of videos from uh, the MAGA pillow salesman lying that Donald Trump won the 2020 election. Donald Trump, by the way, is the man who called Speaker Pelosi Crazy Nancy. He denounced her San Francisco district as dirty and filthy. He said she was waging an open war on democracy. He called her a sick woman. He said she had a lot of mental problems. Mr. DePape was sharing links to crank websites that falsely claimed that uh, COVID-19 vaccines will kill you, that George Floyd was killed by a fentanyl overdose, you know, the kind of shit that right-wing people tell people who consume right-wing media. Elon Musk didn't wait long, did he? We're going to talk a lot about Elon and how he seems to be trying as hard as he can to destroy this website, Twitter. But right away, right away, he responded to a Nancy Pelosi tweet by amplifying a conspiracy theory about the attack on Paul Pelosi posted by the Santa Monica Observer. Now, the Santa Monica Observer is a bullshit fake news site. Uh, They previously said that Hillary Clinton was killed on September 11th and replaced with a body double. That's the site that Elon Musk, who keeps saying we can't have these restrictions, we can't restrict people, free speech, even if you're lying, it's free speech. And right away, as soon as buying the site... He tweets this conspiracy theory that Paul Pelosi was, well, you guys know what the conspiracy theory is. It's disgusting. And it's saying that these men were both in their underwear. It was a consensual sexual act the cops walked in on. Elon Musk decided to not check the source, but just amplify it to his 100 million followers. He's deleted it, hasn't apologized. But, you know, there's the fake free speech of hate mongers. And of uh, violent instigators who think they have a right to hate. And there's the hate of uh, people who just want to spread lies. Now, this is not about Elon Musk. The Elon Musk era of Twitter is going about as badly and stupidly as you can imagine. You know, he's already tweeted with no research whatsoever. A batshit right wing lie that Paul Pelosi's hammer attacker was a male sex worker. Paul Pelosi died. Paul Pelosi is an 82 year old grandfather, by the way. Uh, Mr. Nick DePape was not his lover. I mean, I mean, whatever his first name is. Uh, none of this is true. The right wing spreads these conspiracy theories, and they're spreading them hardcore to distract from the fact that right wing talk incited a MAGA faithful to try to assassinate the Speaker of the House. That is the only story. Try getting that story in our media. Try getting our media to even use the word assassination. Because the right wing's working overtime. And they know if they can get their morons who believe everything they say to believe that an 82-year-old man who's a grandfather is secretly hiring rent boys to hit him with a hammer, they'll believe he deserved it. But why would right-wing people think this? Why would right-wing people who profess to be Christian get behind an agenda like this? Well, let's listen to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Here she is from 2019. Essentially, but indirectly, that's the important part, She's not calling for violence against Pelosi. She's explaining why there might have to be violence against Pelosi. Give a listen. She's a traitor to our country. She's guilty of treason. She took an oath to protect American citizens and uphold our laws. And she gives aid and comfort to our enemies who illegally invade our land. That's what treason is. And by our law, representatives and senators can be kicked out and no longer serve in our government. And it's a, it's a crime punishable by death, is what treason is. 
Nancy Pelosi is guilty of treason, and we want her out of our government. There you go. She's held her seat of power for 32 years. So you get the idea, right? I mean, I could have played you clips from Tucker Carlson or any number of right-wing figures saying, well, treason's punishable by death, and she committed treason. She hasn't committed treason. Guys, Donald Trump hasn't committed treason. Treason can only be committed legally when your country's at war with another nation and you work with that nation against your own. Okay? We haven't legally declared war in 81 years, so no. But just think about that. You know, this guy DePape, he brought zip ties for his hostage-taking, and he said Pelosi was the leader of the pack. He said he was fighting against tyranny without the option of surrender. Think about Guy Reffitt. He was the militia guy from Texas who was convicted of multiple felonies for attacking the Capitol. He had said, I don't care if Pelosi's head is hitting every step while I drag her by the ankles. She's coming out. Think about Cleveland Meredith, another of the terrorist attackers on January 6th, who promised he would put a bullet in Pelosi's head on live TV and called her dead bitch walking. Think about all the video we saw from inside the Congress. What do we keep seeing? That one guy, we never got his name, saying, can I speak with Pelosi? Picking up her phone. We're coming, bitch. The other people talking about crazy Nancy. Again, that's Trump's language. Crazy Nancy being torn into little pieces. Donald Trump's Republican Party is a party of stochastic terrorism. They threaten politicians. They threaten Dr. Fauci. They threaten cops. They threaten school boards. They threaten judges. They threaten law enforcement. They threaten election workers. They're even threatening the National Archives right now. We can't be surprised by this. The GOP demonizes these people. And again, everyone does it, right? God knows we demonize people on the right. But we're not inspiring people on the left to pick up hammers and beat old people. Okay, again, Kevin McCarthy said he would love to hit Pelosi with the speaker's gavel. She's 82, you ridiculous, weak child man. You weak, fucking, morally absent stooges. What is stochastic terrorism? It's illegal throughout most of Europe. It's not illegal here. It should be. It is technically the public demonization of a person or group resulting in the incitement of a violent act, which is statistically probable, but whose specifics cannot be predicted. What? what? Well, the word stochastic in normal language means random. And terrorism, of course, means, like the dictionary says, violence motivated by ideology. Stochastic terrorism is a very real thing. And you can absolutely trace it to the spread of intentional propaganda designed to incite violence. Here's how it works. First, a leader of an organization or a politician or a media figure uses rhetoric in the mass media against a group of people. And the rhetoric is hostile or it's hateful, but it doesn't specifically tell anyone to carry out an act of violence against that group. But a person who feels threatened can often be motivated to do so as a result. The individual act of political violence, you can't predict it. Violence will happen. It's much more probable thanks to the rhetoric. And the rhetoric is thus called stochastic terrorism because it incites random violence. Think about Ron Johnson. Here's a clip of him once again talking about the invasion, one of Trump's favorite Latin words, the invasion on our southern border. Well, first of all, I wish President Biden were more concerned about defending every inch of U.S. territory against the invasion on our southern border. Uh, I... You got that? They're coming. Oh, they're coming. Here's Lindsey Graham. <laughs> Here's Lindsey Graham 
casually threatening violence in the street. Not not why he doesn't want it. He doesn't. Want, he's not calling for it. But just listen how he says, "Oh, you should know it's going to happen." Say this: If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, which you presided over and did a hell of a good job, there'll be riots in the streets. Okay, again, it's a pattern that can't be predicted precisely, but can be analyzed statistically. The demonization of groups through mass media and other propaganda that can lead to a violent act because random listeners interpret it as promoting targeted violence. They are called to it. But the language has got to be vague enough that it always leaves room for plausible deniability. That's important. Plausible deniability is the whole point of stochastic terrorism. How could how could you say that? How I was just speaking my rights as an American, exercising my free speech. Well, I am outraged. How could you say that I'm calling for actual attacks on people? That's how it works. You pick the target, you spread the lies. In some cases, you dox the address, you get the mob angry, and you suggest what the mob should do, right? You light the match, but you deny ever lighting the fuse. That's how it works. And then you wash the blood from your hands. And we always see this. The attackers who have these online screeds with anti-immigrant language and ideas that usually echo Donald Trump's rhetoric like an invasion. Author and uh, psychiatrist Valerie Tarico has these four D's of stochastic terrorism. One, demonization. You got a platform, you target a person to be blamed for all your problems. Demonization. Number two, dehumanization. With repetition of the demonization, the target loses their personhood, like an invasion by illegals. Not refugees at our southern border. Illegals, invasion. Again, you try to dehumanize the target. They're a symbol of evil. They're a symbol of depravity. Number three, after demonization and dehumanization, is desensitization. Desensitization. The violent language and imagery you use in discussion of the target, and no direct calls to violence ever, but violent speech just becomes tossed around. we got to take them out, right? And then denial. First you demonize, then you dehumanize, then you desensitize, and then you deny. When the violence occurs... Stochastic terrorists deny any responsibility because, look, at I, I wasn't involved. I didn't say anything. You know, people tell Republicans there's some sick people out there who's going to hear your rhetoric and they're going to act out. And then the, the sick person acts out, motivated by the rhetoric, and the Republicans say, well, that's a sick person. That's a mental health problem. Guys, people on the right are explicitly telling us what they are. Every one of them want Paul Pelosi's attacker to have the benefit of the doubt. Fox News was twisting itself into pretzels all weekend trying to blame anything, anything but the language their channel boosts. I mean, here, here, here's an example. This is over on CNN. Here's Rick Scott telling CNN, oh, violence is ter- terrible political violence. But both sides do it. A5. The uh, attack on Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi. What is your reaction it's disgusting. This, this, this violence is horrible. Um, you know, that's happened. We had a, a door knocker in Florida that was attacked. I mean, this stuff is, has to stop. One thing I did when I took over the NRC um, a year and a half ago is I went to the Federal Election Commission and said, could our candidates and our senators use their campaign dollars to pay for security? Because, as you know, House and Senate members don't have security, most of them outside of D.C. So, but a lot of it is we got to we've got to say let's let's have a 
We can have a heated conversation about the issues, but this violence has got to stop. Now, again, you know, they'll say, well, it's lax policies in Democrat-led cities. The crime is so bad there. Uh, Independent California gubernatorial candidate Michael Schellenberger was on Fox News saying, we don't know what happened with assault and it's reprehensible no matter the circumstances. But I also think it's worth keeping in mind we're in a crime crisis in our country because we demoralize the police. You hear that? We're in a crime crisis in our country because we demoralize the police. Fox Business host Jackie DeAngelis said there are two things we could have on our hands here, you know, with a crime situation that just happened more randomly or with some motivation that wasn't really targeted at Pelosi per se. Listen to this. Here's Fox News trying to blast Joe Biden over this attack for some reason. Tell me if you can figure out what the point this woman's making. You know, I I posture that it's sometimes difficult to stomach the sometimes selective condemnation coming out of the White House. Rightly so, the president condemned this attack and called the speaker and inquired after Paul's uh, stability, expressing all of their, rightly so again, condemnation and support. Mm -hmm. I don't remember them doing that when we watched an elderly Asian-American get stomped in the face multiple times or attacks with hammers here in the city that have affected thousands of Americans that are victims to these skyrocketing crimes. Or... Uh, you know, okay, I, okay, I okay. okay. First off, hammer it. Thousands of hammer. Chris, are you okay from your hammer attack? Thousands. No. I'm sorry about your hammer attack, Chris. I'm, I should say the, the hammer attack you had. I know you've had several, right? They're, they're, it's an epidemic. But they were. It was just regular attacks, but performed by MC Hammer. Oh, well, that's that's not what I'm talking about here. But again, you and him have a beef that goes way back. I know. You hear us talking about the Asian Americans attacks on Asian Americans. That's from Trump. That's Kung Flu. That's China virus. They're all playing dumb. Charlie Kirk called in his audience to bail out Pelosi's attacker. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, he he just kind of, you know, mocked the whole thing. He said, we're going to send Nancy Pelosi back to be with him in California at a rally. I I, I just, Steve Silber said, the cover-up of an assassination attempt of an elected official inspired by a MAGA stochastic terrorism by claiming her spouse is gay is one of the most disgusting and sociopathic spectacles I've ever witnessed in American politics. And that's where it's at, guys. And it's going to continue. There's not going to be a civil war, per se. There will be more terrorism. Angry, disturbed, far-right men will continue to take Donald Trump's lies and the lies of his minions, and turn them into violent acts. That is what the Civil War will look like. And I can't think of a Halloween movie scarier. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. 
Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. If you weren't following the news today, the justices appear to be ready to curtail affirmative action in college admissions. Now, remember, these six justices... Five of them were elected by presidents who lost the popular vote when they gained the White House. At the sixth, Clarence Thomas was appointed by a president who opposed the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Students for Fair Admissions is the group that wants justices to overturn their ruling in Grutter versus Bollinger, a landmark decision from 2003 that held that colleges are allowed to consider race and use holistic reviews as long as their affirmative action programs are narrowly tailored. I mean, they're allowed to welcome in legacies, aren't they? So what's the problem? Well, the problem is that now their long dream of killing affirmative action for college admissions is on the horizon. Judith Brown Dionis is executive director of Advancement Project, which is an amazing next generation multiracial civil rights org that's trying to fulfill America's promise of a more inclusive, more just, more caring democracy. Since joining the Advancement Project in 99, she's worked with grassroots orgs to wage very successful campaigns using the judicial branch, using advocacy, using communication. And they've done so much to help focus our attention on all the amazing black women running for office in 2020. It is a great pleasure to welcome the executive director of Advancement Project, Judith Brown Dianis. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure. Happy Halloween. And I'm so grateful you could join us tonight. Yes, I'm glad to be here. It's raining. So there weren't there were no trick or treaters. (laughs) I was just out trick-or-treating and we got inside right before the rain started. So <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I, I want to talk with you, if I may, about the election. But first, a little bit about today. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to play just a little bit of Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson today. She really took the Supreme Court's conservative majority to school on this whole issue over Alabama's new voting map. Here is a very quick uh, clip from today. And so what I'm worried about is that the rule that you're advocating... Um, that in the context of a holistic review process, the university can take into account and value all of the other background and personal characteristics of other applicants, but they can't value race. What I'm worried about is that that seems to me to have the potential of causing more of an equal protection problem than it's actually solving. And the reason why I get to that possible conclusion is thinking about two applicants who would like to have their family backgrounds credited in this applications process, and I'm hoping to get your reaction to this hypothetical. The first applicant says, I'm from North Carolina. My family has been in this area for generations since before the Civil War, and I would like uh, you to know that I will be the fifth generation to graduate from the University of North Carolina. I now have that opportunity to to do that, and given my family background, it's important to me that I get to attend this university. I want to honor my family's okay. legacy. Okay, Chris, by we going can phase it out. School. I mean, what the clip I was looking Second. for, and I'm sorry we didn't get to it yet, but she actually said in the hearings today, "Why can't an applicant's racial identity and family background be honored in the same way mm-hmm. a family is honored and benefited through a legacy admissions policy?" Um, I'm wondering what you felt about today's hearings and what they represent. 
Yeah, so um, so I actually heard that that back and forth. I was listening in, and um, you know, I think part of the problem is that um, that the opponents of affirmative action have been for years now chipping away at it. Right? These are these cases. We have to understand these cases didn't just come out of nowhere, right. um, but they have been working their way up. They've been finding the the right situations to challenge affirmative action. Um, so they didn't just happen to wind up in the Supreme Court. So that's number one. This is a long-term plan of, of turning back the clock. Um, and second, that they always argue about race-neutral policies. Always. This country is not race neutral, right? Thank you. Thank and you. you know there is, and it's funny. I did a I did a little video today for Instagram, and I talked about like I am a beneficiary of affirmative action. I went to the University of Pennsylvania, undergrad. I went to Columbia Law School, and that doesn't mean that I was not qualified to be there. Correct. Um, and if, and actually, in fact, I had very good grades. I had leadership skills, and I had good test scores. And but the University of Pennsylvania decided that it was important to have a young black woman from Queens, New York, um, as part of um, that community. And I think I added to that community. And so I think what we're what we're struggling around right now is this um, continued idea of, you know, of really reverse discrimination. Um, is what they're what they're calling out. And it's ridiculous. Um, when you look at schools, when they get rid of affirmative action, you look at California, the number of black students at University of California schools has dropped significantly after they got rid of got rid of it. And we as a country have to decide if we really want opportunity to be for all exactly. or for the future. I'm so glad you mentioned that because obviously whenever I hear the phrase reverse discrimination, I, I bristle. Doesn't reverse discrimination technically mean being nice to people who are different from you? Um, you can't be racist against white people. You can be prejudiced. You can be right, bigoted, right. but racism is a system. And yeah. the U.S. military, ironically, I think is one of the greatest allies affirmative action has had in our lifetime. The mm -hmm. amount of briefs they filed in various cases to show that ha having a more diverse hiring pool has benefited the U.S. Armed Forces. Uh, it just, it, I shouldn't be as surprised, I guess, as I am that this is finally actually happening today. Yeah, and, and this court, you know, I mean, they're poised to to do away with affirmative action, right? They've been coming for it for quite some time. Um, they're also using Justice O'Connor's 25 years, 25 more years of affirmative action, and we're done. Um, but that's not true. We're not done, right? Like, I mean, and if we get rid of it in schools and then in employment, um, what we're going to have is that people tend to want to admit and to work with people that look like them, that have the same experiences, um, so that they don't have to deal with all the difficulties and challenges of being in a diverse environment. And so, um, you know, we're poised to go go backwards, and it's it's very unfortunate. Justice Sotomayor today said, if you're black, you're more likely to be in an under-resourced school. You're more likely to be taught by teachers who are not as qualified as others. You're more likely to be viewed as less academic, as having less academic potential. Why do you want the admissions officer to say, I'm not going to look at the race of the child to see if they had all of these socioeconomic barriers present? I, I, I think she nailed it. 
And I think maybe the greatest tragedy here is that um, affirmative action has been very, very good for academia. I think that many of these universities have a framework in place where they will want to continue following these policies. But it seems since I was a kid, George Bush Sr. was able to get people to believe that affirmative action means quotas. It seems like it takes so much longer to beat down the lies than it takes to spread them. That's right. That's right. I mean, and, you know, and and then they don't want to talk about the real story, right, which are legacies, right? So yes. white people have had affirmative action since the founding of this country. <laughs> and so um, and and don't want to talk about it. But then it's funny on Twitter, I like this. I have somebody going back and forth with me about affirmative action and telling me that it means that I actually got a seat that somebody else deserved. And what that really is, is that some, that person is anti-black. You know, they're anti-black because they're assuming because I am black and because I was a beneficiary of affirmative action that I didn't deserve to be there. Exactly. And what it also means is that this is a touchy subject for a lot of white folks who actually get a little upset about this whole idea that somebody took their seat. The only reason they believe somebody took their seat is because white supremacy has taught people white people to think that they're superior and to think that they deserve all the benefits and the goods of our capitalist society. And so um, it is, you know, it is it is amazing to me that we could still in this time and day think that after we've had a black president, after all, who went to Harvard Mm -hmm. Law, Mm -hmm. that black people are not deserving of those spots. And I always think about affirmative action got me in, but I got me out. <laughs> there was no affirmative action once you got in the place. That's for sure. You know what? Uh, might surprise you, but the first black president who went to Harvard uh, didn't placate the racist too much. Seems to have That's seems right. to have made him dig in even more. And and I want to I, I want to ask you about the elections coming up because there's I, I feel that the media is trying as hard as they can to gaslight people and believe that things are already done. Um, I, I'm. I'm really dying to ask you, what is inspiring you about election 2022? <sighs> um, you know, it's funny because I um, think about like all the bad things, right, about all the voter suppression. But, you know, when, you, when you're when you in the business I'm in, when you're doing civil rights law, you're a racial justice movement lawyer, you, you're really, well, you're a cynic a little bit, you're an optimist. And the thing that's keeping mm-hmm. me optimistic is that... Um, we we recently did a poll of young voters of color, Black, Latinx, and Indigenous, and Asian. And what keeps me positive is the fact that across all groups, they saw the issues the same. They're like in solidarity. They're kind of in lockstep around some things, right? One is their most important issue is the economy of inflation. You know, they're adulting, right? They're 18 to 24, they're starting to adult. Um, So how much things cost and housing costs are really important. Two is their number two thing is racism and discrimination against, uh, you know, across those groups. And so they understand what we are up against. And then the third issue is abortion. And so while the Supreme Court has done incredible damage in setting us back on abortion, young people get it and they are ready to fight for this. And they understand that they actually have the power to do something because they saw what happened in Kansas. And they're like, wait a second, if Kansas can do that, you know, then many of us, if we go to the polls, we actually have the power to change things. And that generation of young people, they're the protest generation. 
They're the mm -hmm. young people who came out in 2020 to protest police violence against George Floyd and exactly. Breonna Taylor. And they were, you know, there were Asians for Black Lives Matter, Latinos mm -hmm. for Black Lives Matter. And so um, so they keep me positive because I think they're going to turn out. I think they're continuing in their leadership. Um, and they make me feel like we're, you know, we're up against a lot, but we're going to be OK. I mean, Advancement Project tweeted just last week. We'll say it again. 87% of Gen Z voters of color in key battleground states say abortion access should be legally protected. The question is, will they turn up to vote and in, in the kind of numbers we need? Yeah, I think, you know, so here's the, the rub, right, is that they understand um, the importance of voting. The issue is that because they're Gen Z, they're eight, these are 18 and 24, their first, many of them, first time voting was in 2020. And yes. so they, a lot of them did not know that there's a midterm, there are midterms, I right? Know. Because yeah. progressive movements spend so much time on presidential elections, right? We pour all of our resources in and we don't get people ready for the next election. And there's an election always around the corner. And so um, part of it, our work is to, connect the dots, right? Understand midterms, understand what's at stake. They understand the abortion issue. Now they need to understand that the people that you vote for are the people who are going to make decisions about these abortion bans. Yep. I, I think there's this danger that um, some people fall into of just thinking, well, black women save democracy every time. They'll turn out this year. I've talked to a yeah. lot of people who are so certain in that, and mm -hmm. that's great. And I agree. Black women have been saving democracy the last several elections. But wow, I, I, I'm like you. I'm hoping that these polls are as skewed as they seem to be uh, of mm -hmm. people who, I guess, answer their landline phones during dinner hours. <laughs> are, are you worried about <laughs> Are, are you worried about what's going on? I mean, Florida and Georgia seem to really be perfecting the art of voter suppression more and more. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, so we, for example, Advancement Project sued the state of Florida, sued the state of Georgia. I've been suing the state of Florida since the 2000 election. That was the first we opened our doors in 1999. And, and then that 2000 election happened. And we were one of the organizations that brought a lawsuit on behalf of African-Americans. We sued North Carolina after the monster voter suppression. That's right. So this, this is a continuing fight for us. Um, the problem is, is that um, black people have to jump over a lot of barriers and they shouldn't have to, right? right? Those barriers, I mean, we, it should be easy to vote for everyone. And I think mm -hmm. that's, um, that's the test is like people and here's the things but black folks don't get upset about voter suppression say oh voter suppression i'm scared i don't want to go they're like oh you trying to take my vote away no i'm digging in and so i think that we're going to see them turn out um you know and and there's important races right and important right. people on the ballot so i think they're going to be okay judith brown dianis is executive director of advancement project what's the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work Yep, the best way is uh, advancementproject.org. And you can catch us on Twitter and on Instagram at ADV underscore project uh, and me at J Brown with an E on the end, Dianis. Please come back and join us anytime. I'm a fan. Oh, it's great to back. have you here. Thank you so Would much. I really appreciate it. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Susan in Pennsylvania, thanks for your patience. Hey, thank you. Uh, the movie was The Blob. The remake or the original? The, the original. It was like 60-some years ago. Steve McQueen. Yeah, right on. Because the, the remake in 88 is actually pretty scary, but go ahead. And that was the movie. And I I'm, I'm still have to say Trump is the scariest politician, maybe because he's here today and I'm affected by a lot of people around me because of him. Oh. And there's no getting away the way they are. I mean, they're just so gung-ho on whatever he says and does, and Biden's horrible, and Trump's God. Yeah. So that, to me, he, he to me, today, this age, he is scariest. Um, when nice. you, when a gentleman talked earlier, too, I, I keep an eye on the stock for the gas and how you said they're gouging, uh, how yeah. they're horrible to the, to the everyday people. I think yeah. uh, ExxonMobil is up to $61 a share, and Chevron is fifty some dollars, and they're all both to one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars a share. And I'm so glad they're really... okay. Glad they're okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I enjoy your show. <laughs> thank you very much. Great, great, Susan. I, my God, these oil companies make me crazy. Sheila in Texas. Hello and welcome. Hey, John. Hello. Good to have you back. Hi. Um. My scariest politician was Louis Gohmert. I was working a a booth at a, a county fair, the Democratic booth, and uh, someone tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around and it was him and he stuck his hand out. I shook his hand and it was super sweaty and that was way before Purell. And <laughs> it was gross. Wait, but... My Hall- my Halloween thing. This is true. That's a true story. Um, I once saw a, a child ghost for real. It you was did. for real. I, I don't really go for all the stuff, but and I don't watch scary movies. But um, once um, on my little country road, two miles back in the woods, there was a tree across the road, and a kid came out of the a teenager came out of the woods dressed like. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, dude. Okay, yeah. And um, I rolled my window down, and I was like, hey, what's up? And in in his most redneck little voice, he said, I'm so sorry, ma'am. I'll move that tree for you. (laughs) It was part of a a hayride skit. Oh, okay. And he and he got he got hit his uh, his he he was off on his. So he wasn't really a real dead kid. He wasn't really a ghost. Right, but okay. oh my God, it cracked me up so hard. 
that's my Halloween shit. So right on, Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween to you. Thank you. It made my night. I was like, tell me about the real kid. Go- oh no. Okay, I'm glad about that. I, I am. I am. Very open to ghost stories, by the way. I got a few of those myself. Dan in New York, thanks for your patience on hold. Hi there, John. How are you doing this night? Very good. How are you? Not bad, thanks. Enjoying the past hour of your show. Uh, Just some quick bullet points. First of all, I don't think there's any other human on Earth who, when asked what their scariest movie was, would say, Yellow Submarine. I was dying. That's me. Well, I was four years old at the time. It was the first. I say Yellow Submarine because it was the first movie that ever terrified me. I get it. I got it. It was just, yeah. it was delightful. I mean, not <laughs> not happy you were scared, but I just loved it as an answer. Well, today it's my um, it's my child's favorite movie, so he's tougher than me. So I feel good. Uh, about it. Let's hear it for your kid. Wonderful. So, really quickly, scariest politician. First, let's give an honorable shout out to George W. Bush because you know how many war criminals paint pictures of their victims. You know the yeah. people that he sent to wars. To die and get maimed for oh, him. Oh, yeah. And, uh, look look so. what he does for all the soldiers that got named for him. It's, it's, it's wonderful. He's a humanitarian at heart. Oh, yeah. Um, and in terms of the I agree. true politicians, I'm going to pick a couple from decades ago, which were um, George Wallace and Curtis LeMay. So we had a presidential ticket of a guy who, A, was a proud racist, uh, yep. not beyond proud, like, you know, ulating oh, yeah. how joyous he was at segregation. Yep. And the guy said, you know, hey, we nuked Vietnam. What's the problem? The clouds will go towards China, and they're not going to hurt us much. So That's right. his, 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 he was just beautiful beyond belief. I mean, I'm ignoring people like Trump or Paul Gosar. We have so many horrendous people today. But No, but Curtis LeMay is an inspired choice. I mean, God bless him for his service in World War II, but uh, yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, he just that, that was the whole Barry Goldwater nuke the Kong mentality. Yep, yep. yep. And, he, and he was, you're right, I forgot. He him. He was uh, Wallace's uh, he running mate. What? He was Wallace's running mate. The the the, the yes, Air Force. Wallace's, yes, right. But, the Air but, Force uh, general who wanted mass killing was the running mate of the white supremacist. That's right. And uh, Goldwater's running mate well, was uh, William. Oh God, I'm blanking on his name now. But uh, I forgot. Yeah, Goldwater. but didn't they get like they got like 13 percent of the popular vote? Yes, yes. In '68. That Wallace got like 13 percent. We're going, Terrifying. are you fucking kidding us? 1968. Like Bobby Kennedy's dead and the white supremacist with a genocidal running mate got 13 percent of the vote. You know, John, you're saying that like it's a bad thing. I mean, what's going on here, man? Come on. I mean, I, you and, know, sorry, the American right. Independent Party. I, it, 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 just saying it, it the, the, the far right wing party against Nixon didn't help uh, McGovern that year. That's I, for I didn't, sure. That's yeah, it didn't help Humphrey that year, I mean. And even Wallace, remember, he, he re- recanted his stance on racism later after he's in a wheelchair. and Much later, yes. Stuff. But he sure not, did. He sure did. I'm not exonerating him. Not that I have the power to. But in terms of scary movies, you know, our society is so obsessed now with things like CSI and murder shows and all that stuff. Yeah. And the scariest movie I ever saw, uh, aside from things like Carrie and the Exorcist, which were chilling, was mm-hmm. the movie from 1990. Henry, Portrait of a Serial Portrait Killer. Portrait of a Serial Killer by David uh, McNaughton with the great uh, uh, Michael Rooker as Henry. Yes. Terrifying Perfect. film. Ter- Perfect. I saw it in the theaters, and they right. and, and it was NC-17. They would not let anyone young into that movie. It's, it's truly right. dark. And that was the exemplification of Hannah Arendt's, Hannah Arendt's The Banality of Evil. And this was what is so real. And that terrified me yes. like no other film I've ever seen. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Al in Canada, welcome. You're, we got about a minute yeah. left. Hi. Okay, I'll be really quick. Good, good, to, good to get in touch with you. Um, I'll start out with the scary movie. There's a, it's actually a Canadian film from 1988 called Pin, P-I-N. And if you want to freak yourself out, it, it, the basic storyline is uh, this doctor uses a therapeutic dummy to teach his young kids, you know, life lessons and sex education and so on and so forth. Right. And the brother, the brother who's really freaky, played by David uh, Hewlett, he he really believes it, and he never outgrows it, while the sister does outgrow it. The parents end up getting killed, and the brother continues to believe the dummy. And his sister plays along, you know, they'll have dinners and have friends over and you know, yes. pretend that they're still talking to the dummy. By the end of the movie... Um, He's so protective of his sister that when he's when she starts dating and getting boyfriends, he freaks out over it and he actually morphs and becomes the dummy. Okay, you have you, you know, have. You, I, I don't tell me anymore. I will see it because it stars Terry O'Quinn, who's a friend of this show, who starred in The Stepfather and Stepfather Two, and of course won the Emmy for uh, for Lost. Al, thank you so much for calling. 